Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to Jude 3 Project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. Watching another episode of the Jew Three Project podcast. As always, I'm your host Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew Three Project, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Monique Gatson. Welcome, Dr. Gatson. Hello, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm excited to have you on, and we're going to talk about a subject that I know our audience is particularly excited to hear about: uh, Is church a toxic space? Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I want you to just tell our audience a little about a, a little bit about the work you do and yourself. Okay. Well, I am Monique Gatson, and I am. Uh, let's see. By way of education, I have been trained as a clinical mental health counselor. Um, I've been trained in spirituality and counseling and also in marriage and family therapy. So for the past uh, 16 years, I have been on staff at um, a church where I do primarily the majority of the counseling there. Um, I'm also president of my, um, I guess you could call it my, my private practice, if you will, where I do consulting and education and therapy, um, relationship work um, for individuals and um, do a lot of consulting work with churches. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you'll have a lot to say about the topic today, uh, especially because you mentioned you've been on staff at a church, uh, historically a black Baptist church for over 16 years. So uh, you're very familiar with uh, how black church goes. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> congregants in the Occupy Black churches. Right. And um, so you can speak a lot to this this statement of is church a toxic space? Um, and uh, one of the reasons I want to talk about there is several reasons, but I think the most uh, drastic illustration I could give happened um, some years back when a friend of a friend went to a church service with her son that was uh, sick and went up for prayer. And there was a prophet there, uh, quote unquote, I use quotes for prophet. uh, That's a very popular prophet who told her that um, God was going to raise her son up. uh, He was going to be healed and um, gonna be a great man of God, do all these exploits. And that same night, her child died. So going from an extreme high to a really low. um, And she refused after that to go to church. And that's an extreme case. Now, that's not happening every day. That is a very extreme case. Uh, But people have these things that have made church feel like toxic, whether it's the mismanagement of words that come from the pulpit. saying that these is this this is what thus saith the Lord and it's damaging. 
whether there is sexual assault uh, or manipulation or womanizing coming from the pulpit that happens too. Um, and these are not exclusively, I don't want these things to be taken as things that exclusively happen in black churches because they happen in churches all across the nation, whether black, white, Hispanic, whatever. Um, uh, whether they're sexism, uh, racism, uh, people have left churches because they've experienced racism, I, I, white evangelical church specifically, um, whether it is um, mismanagement of funds from the church. There are so many things that, and so many reasons or just general hypocrisy or women feeling like uh, they got pregnant out of wedlock and the guy who they, if they were in the choir, they had to sit down, but they were messing with the drummer and he could still play drums. Uh, you know, those are things that make people fit, think that church is toxic spaces. And all of those are valid reasons. So we want to, to um, give voice to those. In your experience, um, what has made the church uh, feel like toxic spaces for, for people? Yeah. First of all, I'm going to, I think we all understand what we refer to when we talk about toxic, but just the definition that I'm kind of using to frame a lot of my discussion um, will be um, when we're talking about toxic, we're talking about something that can be harsh and malicious, malicious. it can be harmful, um, it can be um, poisonous, even if you will. And we also understand that when things are poisonous, it can be capable of causing serious debilitation or even death. So, um, and I'm going to use that in more symbolic terms, not necessarily, preferably not physical, but um, just kind of wanting to, to frame my discussion and my responses. So what can make church toxic? I say almost anything can. Um, and that is um, even in response to the various examples that you had given from the most extreme to, you know, other things that definitely do take place in churches all across the country and I dare say around the world. Um, but philosophies can be one thing um, just to kind of start the conversation that can create a toxic environment. Because what can happen is, um, such as with the most extreme example, that can be an example of a toxic faith. Um, that's being able to, you know, I, I can remember growing up and I can remember being told that if things did not happen as I pray for them to happen, that it was a sign that I did not have the faith. And initially I embodied that. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, here I am, um, I'm a PK. Um, I've been in church all my life. You know, I, I think I have understood what faith means. And um, scripture teaches me that if I only have a mustard seed, so all I got to do is conjure up just a little bit of faith, um, just enough. And these things should be, and when they're not, then I started questioning whether or not I'm a faithful individual. And if I'm not faithful, then am I not receiving all of these blessings that God has stored up for me? Um, so I had to wrestle with that. And thankfully, God put into um, my path people who helped me to dismantle that being um false doctrine. Um, you know, they were like, that's not true. You know, that is not true. And if you continue to think that way, you are going to fall away from the faith, thinking that you, something is so wrong with you. Something is so flawed with me as an individual that I can't have this faith. Like, you know, this other person who then I may, um, kind of deem as being a super Christian, if you will, you know, they have all this faith. I don't have this faith. They're being blessed. I'm not being blessed. Their child lives. My child isn't. 
Um, so having that 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 philosophy, that toxic faith, can definitely create an environment where a church can be toxic. Um, you know, some of the the gospels that are preached, where it's can if you just lay your hand on it, you know, if you can name it and if you can claim it, um, then you know these things should be yours. And when this doesn't happen in a person's life you know, again, you are in, a, um, in an environment that is toxic and you might not necessarily recognize that. So philosophies can be one of those things, um, you know, and, and when I say philosophies, that can um, encompass toxic faith. It can encompass um, how people define manhood, if you will. Um, there are some, you know, churches that will teach that Women are to, they will take the scripture that women are to be silent and they will um, apply that quite literally. So then you are in, you have women who may be in very unhealthy relationships because of the fact that men are being taught that manhood means this complete control um, this total surrender and submission unto them by the women. And if that's not happening, then if there are problems in um, the marriage, perhaps it's because the woman is not submitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can have, you know, definitions of toxic masculinity just as well as um, on the on the other side of that. It can be um, how we define womanhood. Um there can be people who have ideas of what it means to be a woman in such a way that it can, again, keep a person um, oppressed in, a, in an unhealthy relationship. And so, again, going back to the philosophies, that is something that can definitely um, be present that can create a toxic environment um, um, within a church. <clears throat> um, to that point as well, um, I work with our risk management where we do um, screenings for all of the workers with the children and the, the youth. So we have you know, established um, a process, we have um, established protocols and, and procedures, and this is what you know, a person must do to work with children and youth here at the church. Um, and this is kind of becoming a more general universal thing among lots of churches in this day and time. Nevertheless, you will get those who feel is all of this necessary. Um, and you're thinking, wow, you know, don't you listen to the news? Wouldn't you want to be part of a system which is um, taking these necessary precautions and putting these things in place to ensure and to communicate, you know, we take um, the lives of our children, our youth, and even our youth workers so seriously that we are going to establish this, this protocol. But there might be voices that will say, um, I don't think that all of this is necessary. So it will make you wonder why is there this voice of dissent? that is, you know, saying something that is counter to what is apparently supposed to be a good, you know, um, program that is, that is put into place. So um, that, that's another way that um, toxic environments can ensue. It can be that, you know, well, why are we doing this? And then that can kind of catch fire. I don't understand why we're doing this either. You know, I don't understand why we are doing this. And if you get um, a mindset that permeates that space, then, um, you know, again, that can create um, an environment that is also toxic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's so true. There are two things I think that I've heard consistently in doing this work. It was apologetics for people who won't go to church because I think for many, especially millennials, uh, have this angency uh, that have left church, have a disdain for the space because of two things they've experienced. Hypocrisy from the people within the space 
mm-hmm. and some kind of violation or manipulation from leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with and it just goes back to toxic leadership practices uh, because just because you're a good preacher doesn't mean you're a good leader. And I think people don't understand that maybe you're gifted at preaching, but maybe need some training in how to be a leader and how to treat people and how to handle people. um, That's not there. And so um, for those who are listening and have experienced those and, and are saying, man, I just can't do church because for me, where I went to go get healing, I just Mm -hmm. found more bruising. Um, how would you advise them as they navigate through understanding church and God that, uh, I saw a tweet the other day that said, we are, um, injured in community, but we are healed in community as well. Said something around that nature, like Mm -hmm. in the same place where you are wounded, you Mm -hmm. get is the same place where you get healing essentially. Absolutely. So how do how do somebody who's wrestling with those? What what? How would you advise them? Yeah, um, the the very fact is that you will have to wrestle with that. Um, you do. You have to wrestle with the fact that yes, where you are injured, you can also be healed. Um, systemically, I'm, I'm trained as a systemic thinker. So basically, when we're talking about systemic thinking, when we're working with systems. What we are trying to create is synergy. And that basically just means that we're talking about how can we make the whole be strong? Um, We are trying to communicate that if we can come together as a whole, this is going to be better than the parts added together. Okay, but a lot of times when we are thinking um, in terms of our systems, we don't recognize how broken our systems are. Okay, one of the good things, uh, one of the advantages to being on staff at at a church over you know close to sixteen years now has been not only do I have that opportunity to sit with 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 our clients, um, parishioners, and and tease through um, these issues that people are dealing with, be it grief and loss and, you know, relationship difficulties or um, spiritual difficulties, whatever the case may be, it also has given me quite a bit of insight to assess the system. Um, Because people will come in and say, well, when I heard this sermon, you know, or when we were discussing in Bible study." Or, um, you know, over here in this meeting, be it, you know, youth or women or men or marriage, you know, this was said. So one of the things that we have to understand is that there is, even in the healthiest of systems, there is still going to be some fragmentation that exists. And in those places, there may be those things or those mentalities um, or those interactions with people that will um, cause us discomfort. It will injure us. Um, We can have a a run-in with a a woman at a a woman's ministry, um, women's ministry meeting. Um, We can go to a marriage ministry meeting and We can be told that it's our fault, you know, that our marriage is not going as well as we would like for it to go. So there are going to be pockets within systems where um, injury can take place and there is no way around that. There just isn't because every individual on the face of this earth is flawed. We're all flawed. Um, we are descendants of the fall and therefore um, we're not perfect. And even though it might not be our intent, there are going to be times that our interactions with people can um, serve to injure them. So one of the things that um, 
in clinical practice that we talked about, talk about is having a corrective experience. So for example, um, and, and I definitely don't want to send the message that all of these things happen quickly because what ends up happening is, I mean, this is a process. This takes place over time, you know, perhaps over a person's um, lifetime. But what ends up happening is that if you ever want to have a healthy relationship again and you've been in a relationship that has been um, traumatic for you, we are going to have to pray. We're going to have to work. We're going to have to process and we're going to have to get you to a place where you are in a setting where you have a relationship with someone who is more healthy and you then will be able to compare, contrast, if you will, this is what a healthier relationship looks like. What I had before was not so healthy. So yes, to that statement, in community, we can be injured, but what we should learn from that, if we are taught how to identify toxic environments, toxic people, toxic relationships, and if we can circumvent the toxicity, if you will, not the imperfections, because again, there's not going to be any perfect relationship. So we also have to understand when people have been injured, um, like for example, I um, injured my knee years ago growing up. Right. So anytime anybody got near my knee, I would like cover it up like, oh, nope, you're not going to hit my knee. I'm not going to, you know, experience that pain. But what I had to realize is that everybody wasn't headed for my knee. Hmm. OK, so they're not intentionally coming for my knee. They are not intentionally about to cause me um, any pain. But I eventually had to get to a place where you have to understand everybody doesn't mean you injury. Everybody does not mean to injure you. But if you have been injured, that is going to be your first thought. So what ends up having to happen is that we as individuals, we will eventually have to work through that injury we have to heal from that injury. And what we have to understand moving forward is that everybody's intentions toward us may not necessarily be to injure us. And the only way that we will know that and to experience that is to um, take that walk of faith and re-enter, if you will, community and praying that we are in a healthier community where that healing can take place mm -hmm. that's that's helpful um because as as you were talking i started thinking about all the things the different things that i hear people people say mm -hmm. and um when we think about ways in which we've been we've people have been injured one of the things that i've heard a lot from people is um i was pregnant out of wedlock and then the pastor's daughter got pregnant out of wedlock and he didn't say nothing to her, but he bashed me in front of the whole, in front of the whole church or I was called out. This, this doesn't happen frequently now, but it's happened yes. in years past and people are yeah. still wounded by it. Yes. Um, and as I was, I began thinking through that as you were talking and, you know, when we think about how people in leadership sometimes um, do things out of just poor leadership skills mm -hmm. or poor understanding of scripture. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to their door, it hits them in a different way mm -hmm. and they have to develop a certain level of care and empathy where they didn't have it before. Mm -hmm. It kind of leads to the fact that sometimes we have experiences in our lives that we went at things harshly until we yes. experience it ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and then we have a different posture towards it. Yes. However, it is very much so damaging if people 
who have different experiences that allow them to have empathy don't think about the people they've injured when they mm-hmm. didn't have empathy. Right. And they're not able to go back to those people um, and give those apologies or repent of the ways in which they mishandled people um, to have those um, healing um, experiences. Now, some people won't accept the apology, but some people will. Uh, But which leads me to my next question Mm -hmm. for leaders who have been engaged in poor leadership, um, Mm -hmm. who have done things uh, to people, uh, how do you advise them uh, to correct those things? Yeah, I would say kind of back to when I was talking about the system. Um, Just because for some is lack of knowledge, some is lack of training, you know, we may not think in terms of the whole. We may not think holistically. You know, some leaders may just think they're corner. So they may think I just preach or I just teach. And they very well may not necessarily think about those who have been um, adversely impacted by something that they've said or something that they've done. But as you're saying, now that you've had this experience, you know, now that you've had this to kind of come a little bit closer to home, how then would you move forward with this? Well, for example, I, um, not until I had to parent a young adult to be, have I ever really had to give a lot of consideration to the nuances and the dynamics of that relationship between a parent and a young adult to be until I am in that. And so now that I am in that, yes, it has definitely informed the way that I um, I interact with um, young adults to be, or even I minister to, or even consult with churches when they are, you know, having to say, okay, how now do we minister, you know, more effectively to this this population? Um, So I think that when we step back and when we recognize, oh, I might have missed the mark there or I just have completely ignored this particular population um, or, oh, man, now this has brought to mind that time that I've spoken to someone um, and and I, you know, caused um, harm to this person. How now do I move forward? forward. Well, you now have the opportunity to give um, voice to those other people who have suffered just like that person that, you know, you may may no longer um, have the opportunity to speak to. It's being able, I, I have so often said that people who come into my office, and I will say this to specific clients, you have been used to voice that there are other people that are sitting in our congregation that are struggling with um, this same issue. You just have been the one who have come forth and you've given voice to this particular issue. So now that we now have an idea that, okay, we have people and this is a real life example. So we can kind of, kind of use this as, as I, I, I answer your question. Um, there have been young women who have come to me that who um, have unfortunately been sexually abused. Okay, so now they come to church, you know, I'm, I'm coming to church, I'm in church, I'm looking for church and my faith to help me heal. But then during this fellowship time, I got to go around and hug folk. And then you're going to have this gentleman who is going to hug me. And he's going to rub my back or he's going to allow his hand to linger on my lower back or um, like won't let go of my hand. Like, you know, I'm letting you know that I'm holding your hand just an extra second or two longer. So now I got to feel uncomfortable. Now I feel all um, dirty again from my experience. So as I am voicing this, and this becomes made um, apparent to leadership, how can leaders 
take this information and kind of fold it in, if you will, into the whole. And I say it's just as simple and just as hard as having that difficult conversation. It's being able to say to your congregation, it's time for us to fellowship. Let's go around and let's welcome people. Let's make people feel comfortable. And let's understand that everybody may not be comfortable with us hugging them. Let's ask permission or let's just shake people's hands. So there are ways to take the information that, you know, is given to us, especially when we are able to um, hear the voices and the stories of people who have been adversely um, impacted in churches. There are ways to take that information and to then fold it back into our environment um, as a church as a whole, if you will, which to me sends the message that what we are trying to be is we are trying to be a healthy church. We are. We are trying to promote uh, mental and emotional wellness in the lives of our congregants and visitors, you know, or whomever may come. The difference, I think, that what, what ends up happening sometime, and this is where people begin to feel marginalized, is that we may say, oh, okay, we know we have people who will come um, who may be survivors of um, sexual abuse. And, oh, here's the month that we recognize that. And so what we may do is we might make an announcement that, you know, um, there is going to be this program or the women's ministry may sponsor, you know, this or whatever the case may be. But that sends a message that, yes, we are quote, unquote, talking about it, but over there. And that, to me, to me, if you're going to ask me as a consultant, that does not promote mental and emotional wellness. Because think about the fact that most people have to carry the shame and the guilt. And what do we do? We hide that. We tuck away. We go over here and we talk about it amongst ourselves and um, there still is that sense of shame and that stigma that is kind of associated with that. So I think one of the ways that we kind of take away some of that power of that shame is that we need to talk about it and we need to address it as a whole. And we need to be able to say that there are people here who feel uncomfortable or this is how they have been injured. And for those who are in our midst, who might take this as an opportunity to um, take advantage of that, we, um, we, we are going to do whatever we need to do to protect our, um, our whatever, whoever that individual is. You know, it's sending a message basically that we don't tolerate that. Now, saying this real quickly too, we can send that message we can fold that into the whole. We can send a message that this is what we are doing to try to create a system where there is um, emotional and mental um, wellness that we are thinking about ways to promote health for our congregants and our visitors or whatever individuals may be in our presence. But we cannot um, stop Every individual, especially if there are people there who are looking to pray among um, those who are, are in attendance. But I think the difference is, is that you are in an environment that is saying to you, we at least address it. If you bring it to us, we will speak to it. And if there are any kind of protocols or measures that we can put into place to control that, we will do so. Mm -hmm. That's good because it, it, it promotes openness and honesty. Right. And I uh, recently said at a lecture I was giving uh, someone, uh, I was speaking at a university and a student raised their hand and uh, not raised their hand. I think it was texting questions, texting mm -hmm. the question about uh, when is church toxic? Uh, what do I do? With and I said church is toxic when it when church is not an honest space when we're not honest about what's happening. Yes. Which leads me to my next question, because I think mm -hmm. we have to give people the freedom to process these things. And by you mm -hmm. being on the staff of a church, you you know this, that in some church spaces, 
that the uh, response to people's trauma is prayer and reading the word. Yes. And uh, I always like how James puts it when he says, uh, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That tells me that com confession to God is where I find forgiveness of sin. Confession to man is where I find healing from sin. And so um, how do you advise um, those who have been in spaces where they are told to pray and fast and read um, in order to be healed from traumas? And how would you advise pastors who uh, use that as their ways in, to counsel people? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a whole series by itself, um, <laughs> a podcast by itself. Um, let me just start with, first of all, the confession part, because um, that does speak to the system. And um, over the years, as churches, especially African-American churches, are trying to become more sensitive and aware um, about, you know, the variety of issues that people can deal with and are dealing with. So I can remember being a part of, um, I was invited to speak at a women's ministry um, somewhere but anyway, the the topic was about domestic violence, um, you know, about abusive relationships. So there were a few women who shared their testimonies, um, quite emotional, um, very intense emotions, which would suggest to me as a clinician that although some of these experiences would have happened some years ahead of time, or before when we were together, um, there was still a lot of healing that needed to take place. So um, I was excited about the fact that, okay, I'm, I'm invited to speak on this topic um, but what I soon found out is that the 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 atmosphere, um, people did not know how to deal with the anxiety that surrounds this topic. So then we had a couple of women who cracked some jokes and, you know, well, it wouldn't have been me. And uh, well, my father taught me how to shoot a whatever type of rifle. And I'm thinking, no, no, not now. This is not the time. This is not the time. So first of all, when we come to this whole area of confession, and just because we as a ministry are saying, we're going to talk about this topic. And um, I know some of the language I have heard over the years is, you know, this is real talk, you know, let it hang, um, say whatever you need to say. That does not necessarily mean that this place, this space, um, if you will, is going to be healthy for you to, quote unquote, kind of confess those things. Um, I feel like the smaller the, the community um, the better. I feel like if you are with people who have experienced what you are experiencing. Therefore, people who have shared experiences need to group together. That might be more healing, especially people who have done that work of processing and walking through that healing. They can, you know, um, walk with somebody else through that same process. I think that that is going to be more beneficial in that respect. Now, to kind of go um, to what you were saying about how to advise leadership, um, in that capacity, um, we do have to let people um, know, ministers know, um, when I'm talking in, in respect to in, in a consulting type of relationship, that you are speaking a spiritual process, but we have to be mindful that there's a whole lot of emotional work that has to be done beyond the fasting, beyond the praying, um, beyond the even just attending to church. Sometimes we need the ministers to be the one to suggest you may need to go to counseling. And, um, and I know that there are some distinctions among pastoral counseling and professional counseling. 
sometimes it's outside of the realm of pastoral counseling. You need to go and talk to someone who has been trained in dealing with trauma or dealing with abnormal um, psychological responses. And I would say to ministers, be okay with advising your parishioners to do that. Um, it's like given permission. And some people take, you know, spiritual leadership and whatever they would say is kind of what they will go with. So if we can um, collaborate, if you will, with ministers to say, it's okay. I, I, and I've heard over the years, it was my concern. One of the reasons why I went specifically to be trained in spirituality and counseling, I do understand that there has been a mistrust between um, 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 clinicians, psychological professionals, and the faith community. I understand that there has been that clash. But in this day and time, there are a lot of people who are embracing of a person's faith. Um, there are a lot of people who practice from a Christian perspective who is going to hold um, to the Bible in whatever psychological interventions that they utilize. So with that collaboration with ministers, with spiritual leaders, we are saying, please also understand that there's a lot more that people need to do um, other than the fasting, than the praying, than the going to church. And can we join together, going back to this systems thinking, can we join together? Can we as the body, you know, you being the head, me being, um, you know, a mouthpiece, an arm or whatever, can we join together and can we say we're going to embrace this person so that this person can have a redemptive, um, healthy, corrective experience by joining the various parts together, creating that synergy, being able to say that as a whole, we are going to come together and we are going to embrace you and we're going to walk with you through this, um, through this process towards your healing and redemption. Mm, yeah, that's very good. Um, when we talk about the church as a whole and toxic spaces, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I know we've talked about before we, we got a, a, a recording was the difference between a toxic space and a triggering space. Yes. Could you explain that uh, for for our audience? Yes. A triggering space may be, we have to understand that there are going to be some conversations that will take place that might trigger for us um, a bad experience that we have um, experienced. That does not have to mean that that is a toxic space. For example... There are people who have experienced um, sexual abuse at the hands of their biological fathers, okay? Um, I have had clients over the years, um, even before I was in a church setting, that would talk about how is it that I can pray to, you know, a guy that we want to reference as a father, Um and my father, what I know of a father has been nothing but destructive and damaging, you know, for me. Well, if the pastor or whomever is speaking and talking about, you know, a loving father and a father who, you know, loves on his children or loves his daughters. And for this particular individual that might trigger um, this bad experience that they have, um, they have to understand this does not mean that this environment is toxic. Um, you have to understand that because of your experiences, there are going to be things that um, unfortunately you may view in distorted ways. And that is just due to the injury. That's not as though it's a, something is wrong with you. If I were to get hit in my eye by a baseball, and if you know now my vision is blurred or doubled or whatever the case may be, I have to understand that that's not because something is quote unquote wrong with me. It's due to the injury. 
So I have to be mindful. Oh, okay. I am going to view things. Um, my view may be a little distorted or a little bit off. So what we have to understand is that whereas some people may take um, one thing and they might magnify it and say, oh my goodness, if, you know, they speak of this language where they don't use, you know, um, I guess I understand gender neutral language, you know, in this day and time or whatever, then it must mean that this environment is not kind to people who have been, you know, sexually assaulted or abused by men, that's not one in the same, that it's not. So we do have to be mindful that because of our injuries, because of our trauma responses, there are things that can trigger for us those bad memories and experiences, but that does not um, have to equate to this then being a toxic environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to ask a question that might seem counterproductive uh, to okay. the whole conversation. Ah. But are there any places in the world, not outside of churches, that are not at some points toxic? Are there are there some places? Are there any uh, any places safe spaces? In the no. no, I would say no. Um, I would say, ooh, <laughs> I would say no, and I'm saying no based on the fact that, um, again, some of that we have to understand is if it's processed by an individual who has been injured, okay and might tend to believe now that most people are going to injure me, then they may misconstrue something that is said or something that's done as someone intentionally injuring them. And that could be so far from what was intended. So what we have to understand is that because, again, of the fall, because of us being flawed, because of things that we have experienced, as well as things that we have done to people, um, we can't ever guarantee that every individual is going to feel 100 percent safe. We just cannot simply because of the fact that, again, um, I mean, I have clients I'm, I'm trained to do no harm. That is the phrase that we were told from the very beginning of my training. You do no harm. You do no harm. So in my mind, it's always do no harm, do no harm. But people can walk out of my office feeling as though I have harmed them. And I can understand that that can very well be as a result of what it is that they have experienced. And because of the fact that um, we are having to probe in those areas, it might feel as though I am I'm trying to um, injure you. To use a kind of a, a physical example, I remember when I thought I had appendicitis years ago when I was in college. So I went to the doctor and the very first thing that the doctor did was to push on that, you know, area where my appendix might be. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, that's why I'm hurting. So why are you even there? I'm checking to see if it's inflamed, you know, if it's swollen, if it's about to rupture, then we need to get you into surgery immediately. So in order for me to treat you, in order for me to heal you, I am in that area where you are already experiencing that pain. So it could feel as though this person is doing this deliberately to me, but this is also part of that process toward um, toward healing. So, but if people don't understand that you're going to hurt to heal, if you will, um, then they can continue to go from place to place to place seeking that safe place. And they're never going to find that. They're not, especially if they don't understand that some of that hurt is just from the injury that they have received and not so much so that someone is doing something else to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And that's that's so so helpful. Mm-hmm. And I want to just uh, make sure people know we're not talking about is a space is obviously there's some extreme spaces that we can identify as toxic, and you got to get out from uh, you know abuse, whether it's physical, mental, emotional. Those are spaces that we're not talking about. What we're speaking of is spaces that are are just going to be, quote unquote, uh, we say safe spaces where we are not triggered, yes. where we feel no harm at all. Yes. And those spaces, yes. uh, as, as Dr. Gasson articulated, just don't exist, uh, whether you're in a marriage, a friendship. Yes. At some point, you're going to be triggered yes. by something and you may go to something that really has nothing to do with a person, but because it triggers something in you, yeah. you're going to see that uh, if you, if you're not healed in that in that situation, that may not be actually there. Right. Um, one of the things, and this, this is going to be my last question, is we're dealing mm-hmm. with the social media age. People are injured all the time mm-hmm. um, via social media from church people, people in the church writing stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. posting stuff that they wouldn't believe that they would post. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's a white Christian brother and sister posting something uh, with the tag make America great again, or how could you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it's somebody posting something that's that you believe that's vulgar towards women, that mm-hmm. can be something if you feel like somebody's posting something that's hateful towards uh, particular people that have a sexual orientation that is not theirs. Uh, gender issues, being insensitive because they're behind a screen. Mm-hmm. And it causes people to say, well, look at this church person. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I don't go to church because Christians think like this, making generalizations uh, yes. about Christians because of what some Christians have posted irresponsibly on social media, mm-hmm. um, how how would you advise us to handle our social media engagement, knowing that people are watching, and knowing that also not only people are watching, but God is watching us as well. Uh, I believe I mean, you shared this with me uh, last week uh, using Black Panther, and I think uh, <laughs> our audience would appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that we have to be to be mindful um, um, in reference to to Black Panther. The and sorry for those who have not yet seen it, but sorry. Spoiler <laughs> alert: um, There was an opportunity where Black Panther could have um, killed Claw the character known as Claw on the movie. And I'm just going to speak as though people already have referenced seeing it. So, um, but um, Black Panther was told, you know, hey, the world is watching. Don't do this. Don't do this because the world is watching. So when he turns and he looks, you know, everybody is looking, everybody's got their phones up, you know, kind of recording the this moment in time and everything And I think what we do have to be mindful of is that the world is watching. Um, And especially via this social media lens, the world is watching. And we who, um, you know, profess to be Christians, how how are we mindful of what we're saying and what we're doing? And is this drawing men? to Christ? Um, Is this glorifying God? Um, Is this um, giving people the idea that I am also a fisherman, you know, of men for Christ? And if we can't answer, you know, yes to those questions, then we very very well may need to pause and step back and again, ask ourselves and filter through, um, hey, the world is watching. And are we, are we doing um, um, justice to how people might perceive us as Christians or if we are representing uh, maybe a specific church or just church in general, how is it that um, people are walking away with um, that perception. I'll say real quickly, as I teach um, 
I teach a psychology of adjustment class. And every semester that I've taught this class, when we get to the particular chapter where we talk about social influences and social thinking, um, we talk about prejudices and discrimination and bias. So I will pick um, different groups and Christians are always one of the groups that I will pick and I will ask people, what are um, your thoughts here? Like what are those stereotypes? And, and the things that are said about Christians are not the things that we would want to identify with. Um, it's not loving. It's not, um, you know, serving. It's not um, kind or patient. You know, it is. It's hypocritical. It's, um, you know, um, good gosh, preying upon people, you know, or is even talking about extortion. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, you know, these are the stereotypes that are being associated with Christianity um, as it relates to, again, me in, in discussion with, with students in a psychology class. But nevertheless, um, stereotypes, unfortunately, are based on people's relationships with whatever that group is. So to some degree, somebody has had that experience enough times that they associate those things with, with um, you know, being Christian. So I would say through that social media lens, um, understanding how some people can already view us in a stereotypical fashion do we want to perpetuate that or are we definitely again back to are we glorifying God through this and are we um, in a position where we are saying we are definitely drawing men unto Christ mm -hmm. that's that's awesome uh, on social media I, I tweeted something recently about apologetics apologetics is to the goal is to win people not arguments and sometimes mm when we have interactions with people who believe differently, our pride swells up and we feel like we need to win yes. the argument or feel feel like we win. Cause I, I honestly, sometimes when we <laughs> think we won, we really lost. Um, that, you know, just as like you use the Black Panther mm -hmm. uh, illustration, he, he's justified based on what Claw has done to yes. kill him. Right. But everybody, that's watching doesn't know what he's done. So Absolutely. in that, in that aspect, because yes. they don't have prior knowledge of what's happened. Right. It could look a certain way because they don't know everything. And so we have to think through that as we're interacting. Yes. Mm -hmm. We could be justified in making the point we make, mm -hmm. but it's everybody else that's watching privy to the information, you know, yes. And doesn't make you, look bad <laughs> yes because yeah. everybody's not aware um, and and in turn making you look bad does it make the church look bad does it make christ look bad because right. we are not uh we are we are not to be thought of individually we are as a collective absolutely and, uh, um that's definitely helpful i'm uh, that illustration i think is amazing so thank you for that um for those who are watching and uh, say, you know, I really enjoyed what you said. What resources would you recommend for them um, as they're wanting to go deeper on this? Yeah. Um, well, stay tuned because I'm, I'm definitely doing some writings in this area. Um, I've done a presentation, a um, couple of presentations that I'm trying to develop a little bit further into some kind of a resource. Um, one was um, entitled, um, and the African-American church said, and that was basically talking about um, this concept of the messages that come from the pulpit and how that can contribute to, again, a toxic um, toxic church environment. Um, one of the books that is, is an older book, but um, I found it to be so insightful is um, Yet With a Steady Beat by Lee June. Um, in that particular book, he, he talked about um, specifically the black church and he was um, filtering that through um, a psychological lens. So that was one of the books that I found very um, helpful. There was another book and I'm going to, oh goodness, I'm not going to remember. Dr. Gardner Taylor um, 
one of the um, soldiers who's gone on. I, I used to call him the, the pastor's pastor. Um, he was great friends with my uncle. He wrote a book, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not even remembering. Maybe I'll post it on, on Instagram when I go and look up the book. But um, So some of those books have been very instrumental in um, kind of influencing me as a clinician, but reading those books from the theological um, you know, perspective and kind of integrating that with what I do has been influential for me as I, again, kind of consult with church environments on ways to promote this mental and emotional wellness. Mm -hmm. And how can people get in contact with you for the work you do as far as consulting and your social media handles? Yeah, um, you can check my uh, website out at transforming like hyphen visions.org um, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook um, under Transforming Visions. And I think I'm a little bit more active on Instagram than I am on Twitter and uh, Facebook. But um, those are some ways that people can reach me, um, you know, via social media. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Gatson. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your invitation. Keep up the guide work that you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching g3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.